Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. I'm your host as usual, Raphael Harry. And before we begin, I'd like to give a shout out to my patrons. Thank you for your support. Without you, we wouldn't be here. And for everyone listening, especially our new listeners, thank you for joining us. You can also support us. We welcome new support. Support us. Keep us going. Join us on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. Or you can do a one-time donation of any amount that you're comfortable giving. And yeah, help us build community, take this podcast to the next level, and help us start newer projects and bring more fun, good stuff to you. Also, you can support by getting our t-shirts at vetclothing.com, any color of your choice, you know. And if you want us to change the design of the t-shirts, yeah, by being a supporter, you can also um, have a say in doing that. So yes, there's um, more ways to do that. But if you can't support us financially, you can also support um, by always going on our, um, Apple Podcasts or your podcast uh, platform of your choice and giving us five stars and a positive review every time. You can do it as many times as possible. We always say Apple Podcasts first because that's the largest podcast platform. So pushing us on that will always be of a huge, huge help. So go up there. Give us a great um, positive review, five stars. And don't forget to like, share with your friends, family, loved ones. You know, it helps. It helps every time you share this podcast episodes and, you know, we put our name out there. So with that being said, I have the honor of introducing today's guest, Nalas Mendy. He's the um, first male guest I've had from this country was born in this country in West Africa. I've had, um, during my first year of the podcast, uh, I had the honor of having a woman who was born in this country be on the show. And he's a brother who I met back when I was living in Texas, but he's moved from that city where we, we, we um, I used to live in, but he's still in that area. So he's a father, he's an IT professional, He's in the in the master data da- uh, management field. He's a principal consultant at Mendy um, um, Consultancy. He's a volunteer. He's an all-round good man who just you know stands for charity and uses his cycling skills a lot. Yeah, it makes me want to learn how to ride a bike. I don't know how to ride a bike, so but I'm gonna learn in about two weeks. I'm gonna start learning finally, finally before I get to age forty. I'm going to start learning how to ride a bike. So this is one brother who, yeah, I've been, I, I want to try and emulate a little bit so I can start riding a bike, you know. But he does a lot of good for his community and, you know, with his skills. And he's someone who I know has a great story that I just had to get on the podcast. So without much being said, welcome to White Label American Podcast. How are you doing today, brother Nalas? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me on. I'm excited. 
Uh, I've told anybody who could listen, I said, hey, I'm good to be on a podcast. And this is the name of the podcast, you know, including my children and white <laughs> label American. And um, so at first I was actually nervous. I was like, oh, what am I going to talk about? So needless to say that um, I was relieved when you sent me at least a list of questions. I said, okay. Uh, I'm not going to be blindsided. <laughs> <laughs> nah, the, the goal is not is not to blindside you. There are, there are other platforms that do that, but um, <laughs> we, we're here to have a conversation and it's for myself and for the audience to all grow together because um, by hearing our journeys and humanizing it, we tear down artificial walls by doing that. Right. So we all grow right. from that. So that, let, let's, let's dive into your story right from the beginning. So you have... Two beautiful names, and if yes. you are into the the um, football or soccer, as we say over here, um, you, you, your last name is quite common now in, in soccer due to the number <laughs> of players who have that last name. But your yeah. first name, Nalas, mm -hmm. which um, if we go by the spelling, people will just call it Nalasi. Nalasi, yes. But it's Nalas. That, that's what my ex-wife used to call me whenever she was angry with <laughs> oh. me. She would say Nalasi. <laughs> 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 oh no <laughs> so let's start with your names nalas mendy what do they stand for what's the meaning to uh behind those names so i'm actually a person who's very interested in names i guess at some point we'll talk about names because all my children actually have uh names from my tribe or language mm. uh so, so what so tribe nalas, is that Nalas actually uh, means someone who plays. Oh. And it's actually the implication is somebody who plays a musical instrument. Okay. So, um, so I was named after this gentleman who played a string instrument. And by the way, um, my tribe is Manjaku, which is... I don't know. We're probably less than 200,000 people between, you know, we're spread from Guinea-Bissau, mm -hmm. Senegal, and Gambia. And so if you see anybody with the last name Mendy, yeah. <laughs> the, the, it's safe to assume that they're Manjaku. Oh. So Nalas means someone who plays a musical instrument. So I was named after this gentleman who played this string instrument uh, called Buchundu. And I don't know how many strings it has, but so as uh, so the, he was he was referred to with by his profession, which is Nalas. Mm. But his his name actually was Laurent or Laurent, which was a French. I think it's French yeah, version French. For, for Lawrence or something yeah. like that. Uh, so people call him by his profession, and people because I was named after him, people call me <laughs> call me what they call him, which is Nalas. So oh. the story with the eye at the end, yeah. um, my, neither of my parents could read or write. So when my dad took me to start elementary school, back then there were no pre-K or kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go for, straight from home to first grade. And so they asked him, they're like, okay, what's your child's name? And I, he said, Nalas. So the, the teacher, whoever was writing down, the, re registering me, was not from my tribe. So she couldn't understand, you know, she, she heard something differently. Yeah. <laughs> so she wrote it down <laughs> with an I. <laughs> and so that's ah. why there's an I at the end of my name. <laughs> oh, I see. Wow. Wow. 
So it, it, it's fascinating how many. It's not the first time I've heard a story like this, but this is the first time I've heard a story like this on the podcast. <laughs> okay. And it's fascinating how many times there have been stories like this that I've heard growing up in Nigeria mm -hmm. where a teacher couldn't pronounce someone's name, a teacher from a different tribe or a teacher was from yes. a different country who yes. tended to mostly be white. And mm -hmm. they would just, you know... <laughs> <laughs> so that's how the person's name changed by a letter or and some in some cases the pronunciation of the name even changed correct yeah correct. and the, it just the, stuck the interesting thing is i remember so from first grade going to second grade i remember my name actually no longer had an n at the beginning but it had an m oh and wow. then by the time I, time I went to third grade i think somebody caught it a teacher called him like and they probably said no, this name needs to be an N because this child is not pronouncing his name with an M. And so that's 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 how it stuck with an N. But the eyes, the eyes, you know, yeah. stuck around until I actually came to this country. And I, when I became a citizen, I was like, hmm, maybe I should drop the eye. I'm like, oh, 40 something years old. I'm halfway to the grave. <laughs> Why bother with a single letter, you know? <laughs> Well, and yeah, then yeah. I'll tell you so. I'll tell you something uh, about the last name Mendy, right? Yeah. So, I've actually I've, I'm very interested in language, African languages, and language beginning of words, name, names, and stuff. So Mendy, so I have cousins whose last name are Gomez, mm. G O M E Z, yeah. right? And and Silva, S Y L V A, Korea, C O R R E A. Oh, wow. Ferreira Pereira. So then I said to myself, hmm, Mendy probably was supposed to be either Mendoza or Mendez. Fascinating. And, and, and the reason is that because the Manjaku people originated from Guinea-Bissau, and Guinea-Bissau was colonized by the Portuguese. Yes. So my people, the Manjaku people, adopted Portuguese last names. Oh. And so Mendy, I think it was supposed to be Mendez or Mendoza or whatever the, the you know the variation should be. Oh. If, if you if you look at you know the other tribes people with last names of Gomez, Correa, yeah. Ferreira, Ferreira. So when I became a US citizen I was actually seriously thinking of changing my last name because I have an African last name. And I said, I don't think I want Mendy. But because I already have children. Yeah. And then I was talking to my, my, my I have uh, siblings in, in, in England. And they were like, please do not change your last name because then our children wouldn't know they're related. But I actually was seriously changing it to our clan name. Mm, what, because what, what, last names yeah. are actually based on clan. Yes. Uh, yes. So I was going to change it to our clan name, which was so, which was going to be uh, Bakabin, like B A, mm -hmm. and then either C A B I N or C A B I, yeah, K A B I N, Bakabin. Bakari. Um, so oh, that's well, so that, that sounds like uh, the Yoruba Bakari. Yeah, like Bakari. Yeah, Bakari would be a first name, but. So you see, um, 
Well, once once we go so bakaving, so in Manjaku the word ba mm-hmm. it's means belonging to. Oh, okay. So if you say bakaving means the people of Kaving or belonging to Kaving. So oh. I'll tell you a short story. My my uncle, I had an uncle who passed away in 1993. And one day he, he used to hang out with my dad. He came and he's like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't, I want to change my last name from Silver to Bangao. Ngao. Bangao. B-A and then Ngao. G-N-G-A-W. Mm-hmm. And you know, we thought it was funny. I was younger, we, I didn't know the implication. Now, when I look back, I'm like, yeah, he was onto something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was onto something, you know. Wow. Because, so. so like my clan name or my yeah, ours is Ari, A R I. Okay. And the, the story that I've been given is that my great great, well, I think my great great grandfather or my. my Whichever one, you know, mm-hmm. when he went to school, the white man or white woman, whoever <laughs> it was, couldn't pronounce. I don't know how you struggle. That's like one of the easiest. You, you, there, there are names from my region that I've seen. That I'm like, I'm never gonna touch that name. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna <laughs> keep walking. I'm keep, I keep walking. <laughs> and for some reason, the person kept struggling with that Ari and started calling him Harry. And that's how the name changed. Oh, I was that's, wondering. Okay. That's how name changed because we we had converted to Christianity a long time. You know, yes. but when the Portuguese arrived, our, we started converting because Portuguese arrived first and then uh, followed by the Dutch and then um, the English, mm-hmm. uh, British, and yes. So, but that's why we Catholicism was what we first went with, and yeah, Catholicism mm-hmm. was big in our our region, and then the Pentecostal. But that's why um, when you said silver, we have silvers too. You know, in, like oh, a, okay. a, a former, the, he's a minister now. Okay. S S I L V A. He's a oh, yeah. Okay. He's a, he made it to. He was a former governor, and he made it to. He's currently a minister in, in the current government in the in federal Nigeria, government. In the federal government. Oh. Um, we, we we on the Yoruba side in, in like Lagos. There's a fam- one of the wealthiest families there is Fernandez. But I think oh, wow. there's that that one may, may have been one of the slaves that returned back from Brazil. There's, I know there's one. Yeah. One is one is the the I've, I've, there's two that I, I can't remember which one is which. But one of them returned back from Brazil, and they they kept that uh, Fernandez. Then the another nice. one for some reason I don't know how they ended up with Fernandez and his Yoruba, which is rare to see Yorubas going with a last name like that. But yeah, in our, Yoruba, but if you exactly. come to my side in the Niger Delta, it's not mm. uncommon to see people with last names like Smith or yes, for, foreign yeah, or, or even Portuguese last names. Yes, because for, we, yeah. they, like the Kingdom of Wari. The mm. Olu, one time they took the, they, 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 that's one of the ways they got us. They would take the, the princes, will be sent to the courts, royal courts in, oh, royal court. in, okay. in okay. Europe. So mm-hmm. in Portugal, they, they, they were trained, but they were trained by the royal house in, in yes. Portugal. Yeah. So they were speaking Portuguese and mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. And they would get Portuguese names and all that. So like the, the current crown of the Olu of Wari came from uh, Portugal. So, oh really? Yeah, wow. it's a gift from Portugal. But when you see you like, why why are you wearing that type of crown? It don't make sense. Well, if you see about <laughs> Benin, about Benin, it has a traditional looking. It looks like something that comes from 
it makes sense for a king that looks he looks like yeah he's from this region this part of the world see. then you see a lot of worry has shiny looking his crown looks something that looks like european it looks very european, european. and yeah. then when you go into that part of history, you're like, oh, yeah, they took, the, there was a time the princes used to be sent to Portugal to go be trained. And oh, yeah. I actually, I actually just learned something. I didn't know there was Portuguese influence in, uh, well, I know they were like the first navigator. Oh, <laughs> navigators. Yeah. oh, yeah. It was after they discovered um, Indonesia, a bunch of them started, they didn't pay attention to Africa that much. Otherwise, they would have yeah. colonized a lot more of Africa than, mm-hmm. um, than uh, what's it called? Um, than um, was um, than the British and the rest did in France. Came afterwards. Yeah, but that's that's beautiful stuff that you, you just open my eyes to when it comes to names, and I'll definitely have to go look into that now. And uh, yeah, and, and and the tribe too. So that makes sense now. Why 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 I see the name Mendy amongst lots of people? Yeah, well, well, I see the name Mendy spread across uh, from Senegal to Guinea Bissau all the countries around that area so let's yeah. go back to, let's go to your childhood now so can you introduce us to your place of birth and what your childhood was like um uh, uh, it's gambia of course the the gambia <laughs> well the audience and doesn't know i, I know so we, we have to make sure the audience knows so um, yes i understand yeah where, where in the gam in gambia uh, well, my birth certificate is Igbo Town. This, the, so it's not Igbo with an I-B-O, but E-B-O. Yeah. Oh, E-B-O. Yeah, I was about yeah. to say, wow, they have a place called Igbo Town. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so you know, but, so I was born there, of course, in 67. Um, not many, there were very few hospital, hospital uh, births. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you basically, most people were born at home, mm-hmm. and the reason why I'm saying this is because my my kids always like, Dad, you're never sick. I said, No, I was born on a dirt floor, and all the bacteria in the world, <laughs> all the bacteria in the world, uh, invaded my body from the first hour I was on this planet. So I I built a unique uh, immune system. immune system. Yeah. Yes. Um. So what was childhood like growing up in, in um, Ebo town? Well, actually, I, it was just briefly. My family moved to this small town, which was so uh, the, if you uh, know the, the geography of Gambia, Gambia is basically um, you have a river that goes that runs um, what runs from the Atlantic Ocean, which is what uh, west, uh, west to east. And um, so the, there's a north bank, a mm-hmm. patch of land, which is the bank of the river, uh, north of the north bank, and then the south bank. So to go from the north bank to the south bank of the country, you actually have to traverse the river. Wow. So the river actually, it's uh, half of it is fresh water. The other half is salt water. The salt water wow. comes from the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. And the, the, the fresh water comes from the uh, plains in Guinea, Guinea-Conakry, the yeah. Futajalan Highlands in Guinea. That's where the river uh, gets its source from the from Guinea, flows through, and then it meets somewhere in the middle of the country. So back to the story. So I, in my, my early days was in Aljamdu, which is this very small place. I have recollections of it. I think we lived there until I was about five. 
Then I moved to Serekunda. Uh, if you know a lot of people, you know, Serekunda is the biggest town or city in, in Gambia. Uh, bigger than the capital, Banjo. Oh, so wow. I actually went. I wasn't expecting yeah. that. Well, when we say big, so so we have to put it in context, right? Yeah. So the Gambia, the Gambia is about three hundred and fifty miles long, or if if not shorter, mm -hmm. <laughs> long. And then at its widest point, which is uh, at the by the Atlantic Ocean, I think it's less than twenty or thirty miles wide. So it's a small place. Yeah, it is. So if we're talking about the biggest city, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably less than some counties in this, in you know in Texas, a small. But yeah, Serekunda, the biggest biggest city, and so that's why I went to uh, elementary school. Okay. Uh, from first grade uh, to sixth grade. Uh, back then, we call it primary school. Yeah, primary school. I think it's still called. It's primary still called primary. School. Yeah, because the uh, the Gambia, Ghana, Sierra Leone, and Nigeria. We, we, Sierra Leone. Yeah. We all use the same school system of primary yes. school, secondary school, yeah, and uh, university. Because I think we all do Wayek and. Yeah, Wayek. Yes, Wayek. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So after uh, you know, after sixth grade. Um, everybody sits to the same exam. It was administered by WIAC, but I don't think it it was throughout, you know, the English-speaking West Africa. But everybody takes the same exam. It was high intense, high stakes testing. If you scored high, then you go to a high school. If you don't score high, then you go to a technical training secondary school. <laughs> so I went to a high school and it was a technical high school. So at the time, most of the schools, um, well, the good, most of the good elementary schools and the good high schools were actually Catholic uh, high schools. Uh, yeah, Catholic yep. schools. That was that was a common thing. Yeah. Sometimes. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I moved to this other small town called Lamin. That's where I went to high school. And then um, after high school, I went to you know taught. Uh, I was I was a very good athlete, you know, like an all I played basket. I was a star basketball player, star track, star volleyball player, star. So you were you player. were all sports. Yes, yes, I was, and I'm not blowing my own horn. I was very good, and so after high school, the principal said, "Hey, why won't I hire you to be a PE teacher?" I'm like, okay, so that's how. <laughs> so wow. I became a PE teacher after high school. I was a you know. It's still coach track, soccer, basketball, volleyball, and the rest of them. So, okay. So during your your, uh, there's a question I'm go I'm going to ask, but I will still come back to that question. It's one of my yeah. favorite questions to ask. But on the sports side, your yeah. high school days, primary high school days, um, which was your favorite to play? If you had to pick one sport to play, which one would it be? Well, it actually depends. So. I played, you know, I played soccer elementary school, played soccer uh, in high school. I actually did not play basketball. So I didn't play basketball until my junior year, which here would be in it. So in back then, the work system was five years of high school. So you have form one, form two, form three, form four, mm -hmm. and then form five. So I actually started playing basketball in form four and I loved it. Wow. Um, so I, I loved ba playing basketball in high school in, in my junior year. And even after high school, still love basketball. 
And now I went back to football. I was soccer. <laughs> it's now my favorite. <laughs> even, even watching it, uh, that's what I enjoy watching more. So uh, what's your favorite position to play? Uh, I play. I mostly played uh, forward. So I was a goal scorer. So, so this, <laughs> I was a, so back then, the traditional formation was 4-2-4, right? Now yeah. you have all these formations, 3 mm-hmm. 4 2 but back then it was straight four two four, so you know you have your two midfielders, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you have your you have your left wing and your right wing. Yeah. So I play. I was I played left wing, even though I'm actually right footed. Okay. And that actually tricked a lot of defenders because they thought I would, I was always going to my left. Yeah. <laughs> because I was, and I would go to my right. But yes, uh. I was. A, and then in my twenties. I thought I was too old to to be a forward, so I said, "Okay, I'll just be a defender." <laughs> uh, all right, so let, let's go back to your childhood. What do you consider your favorite childhood memory? And you can give us more than one example. Well, my 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 favorite childhood memory actually uh, was actually my dad. So my dad, you know. We were we were we we were poor, just to put to put it bluntly. But my dad managed to own a bicycle, which a lot of families didn't own a bicycle. <laughs> so my dad owned a bicycle, and I remember he would put me on the uh, the crossbar, you know, the in the front, and yeah. then my younger brother. I have a younger brother who's like almost three years younger than me in the back. And every time we were going to town, for example, to Serekunda, remember. Uh, uh, this village we lived in, Aljamdu, was in the North Bank. Mm-hmm. Sarakuna is on the South Bank. So he would ride the bicycle. I don't know how. It, to me, it was like a long ride, but looking back, it probably <laughs> was less than five miles of <laughs> bike ride. So he'll park the bicycle, then we'll get on this ferry. And this ferry was an old rickety. I think it was made of wood, if that's possible. Probably. Probably. <laughs> and, and you can actually see from, from the north bank in Bara, which is the town on the north, looking across to Banjul, which is the capital city, you can actually see it. You can actually pretty much walk across it if you could walk on water or if there was a bridge. And so you cross with the ferry. So those were my childhood memories, just and he'll buy pastries and all that. We'll go to Serekunda, visit families, and then and then go back. Those are and then the other one also was the first time I actually visited Lamin. And Lamin actually was where I went to high school. And I think I was in second grade. I went there for the summer, <clears throat> lived with an uncle. And uh, I had a great summer. And then school started, I went back to Serakunda. And after school, instead of walking home, I walked to Lamin. And I could imagine my dad's and everybody's consternation that I didn't come home from school and they were looking for me, looking for me. Looking for yeah. me. And I guess somebody had the presence of mind say, hey, why won't you go to Lovin? Maybe he went back there and there I was hanging out with the other kids. <laughs> my dad didn't, you know, you know, back then you get a whooping. My, yeah. my dad didn't give me a whooping. <laughs> I didn't get a whooping for that one. So those, those are my childhood memories. You know? <laughs> Ah, so Lamin, uh, did I also feel like you were walking a long distance? Uh, 
Yeah, so so I'm in the context of Gambia, so let me, yeah. my brother and I went to high school in the 80s, right? Mm -hmm. So Lamin from Serekunda. So my brother, my younger brother, he lives in the UK and he, oh, everybody thought Lamin was Bush, right? Mm -hmm. And now when you look back, Lamin is barely two miles, three miles from Serekunda. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, but then back then it was like some distance. You're like, wow. So people, so some of us who, who lived in Serakunda, we were like townspeople or city people. Yeah. So we moved to Lamin to go to high school. So we formed our own clique, right? Of course. So we didn't. <laughs> we, we spoke. We spoke the town people language. We'll get back. We'll get to that in a moment. Which is Wolof, and okay. some people call it Jolof. Yeah, that that's where Jolof. The whole yeah. Jolof war. <laughs> <laughs> People don't want to acknowledge. <laughs> yes. Uh. So we, we spoke well off and the, the people were like, oh, these people think they're better than anybody else. They spoke well off. Of course, that's the only thing we, we you know, knew how to speak. But <laughs> So, yeah, I stayed in London for 10 years. After high school, I still stayed back there because my dad actually had two compounds, one in London and one in Serakuna. So I just stayed mm -hmm. in the one in London. I was living on my own with my younger brother. So. Wow. So when you um are after secondary school and you were offered the the PE job to, to become mm -hmm. the PE teacher, what were the challenges that you faced now that you became a teacher? The the, the challenge the challenges actually were okay, here I was. I'm now a PE teacher. Um the the most i'm um, five years older than the students so the the ones who came in form one right the yeah. freshmen they probably were five years younger than me <laughs> and then the the, people, the senior the people who were seniors were like a year maybe two years younger than me so it was a uh it wasn't a big challenge but it you know they have to go from calling you by a first name to calling you mr mandy uh -huh. <laughs> you know? And so I made it easier for them because I, I happened to go for, to a basketball coaching uh, seminar of like two, three weeks. And when I came back, I said, don't call me Mr. Mandy. I'm now a coach. So everybody called me coach. Even my siblings started calling me coach. <laughs> so, it, so, so that made it easier. So wait, did, did, did you dress like coach, like my coaches, uh, my, my PE teachers who were coaches, they always wore the track suit up and down. Did you, did you dress like that? No, I, unfortunately <laughs> not. I, I guess if I if I if I was able to afford a tracksuit, I, uh. I, I would have worn one. <laughs> but uh. I don't think I don't think my salary my salary was enough for me to uh, to wear a tracksuit. I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh. But but I was very you know. Before coming up, you know, before graduation, mm -hmm. there's something, there, there's a, you know, a, they don't have it here, but in the British British school system, you have a, a head boy and a head girl. Yes, we, yeah, yes. we had that. So I was a head boy, so which means I was actually in charge of slide enforcing the school rules. You yes, know, and, and I, I was punctuality prefect. Yeah, you were, yeah so you have yeah. a class prefect. And then you have a head boy. Yeah. <laughs> for for final year of secondary school, I'm, I I was uh, they, they selected like you know they select a whole bunch of 
students to be in the final year to be prefects. And yeah, I was selected for punctuality. I didn't. I, I was happy at first until I realized that I had to be. I had to show up early, early earlier than everybody <laughs> to call, catch all the late comers. <laughs> so yeah. that was that was part of my job. And then yeah, I just interviewed a classmate of mine recently, and he was reminding me, and I was like, oh, I forgot about all that. And yeah, it, it brought back memories. <laughs> But yes, so, but yeah, yeah, that's another way of because uh, uh, yeah, um, I think in Nigeria we just called if you were in each class you were just called the class prefect, yeah, and then when you got to final year, then the, that's when you, you were appointed head you boy, head boy, head boy and, and head yeah, girl. If it's a mixed boy. school, there's head, head boy, head girl. If it's just uh, if it's if it's a segregated school by gender, then it's um, head girl only and then head boy only. So yeah. Yeah, it, it was a co-ed, so there was a head boy and there was yeah. a head girl. Yeah, I was co-ed also. Yeah, so yes. we got head boy and head girl. And then there's a whole bunch of other offices. I can't remember what the other prefects were called, but I just <laughs> remembered mine being punctuality prefect. And then you had an assistant punctuality prefect. And yeah, that 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 that's um, conflict resolution. I think that's yeah. one of the classes that we should have taken because, yeah, there was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of conflict resolution, right? Before it gets to the teacher, you actually are the one yeah. who, who wants to settle all these differences and all the, you know the small arguments mm -hmm. and, and all that. So, yeah, that, that, that's a, like yeah, that's a real that's a real time introduction to conflict resolution. But we didn't have that word in existence in our lives then, so nobody knew that we were practicing conflict resolution because sometimes it will, will handle it amicably so it won't get out of hand and then sometimes we get out of hand and then it escalates to teachers and it escalates to the principal and then the principal yes. yeah and then yes. yeah so yeah that but it was something that you know it was if if we had the right words the, like people are like we knew understood that this is stuff that we're dealing with management because it's all it involves all that i think a lot of people will, will wouldn't have uh down the line, people wouldn't have considered themselves not having the experience that they they felt they they didn't they don't have, you know, because it's something that I always bring up when I'm talking to uh, I'm on a Nigerian panel and I'm I'm like yeah you know when they say you just graduated from Nigerian college and they say oh we need five years experience all of you have that five years experience because when you start adding all that stuff you did in secondary school even your your community if you if you're in your church or your mosque if you volunteer there. Add all that together, you have the five years experience. Then you add your school, yeah, yeah, yeah. five years experience. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> you, already, yeah. you already got it. But nobody tells you to add your being a head head boy or head girl as experience. We don't add that because it's not considered a skill. But that's just, you are exhibiting a skill set there. Yeah, that's a skill set. <laughs> it's actually a unique skill set. Yeah, it is. But because because these are your peers, right? Mm -hmm. And um, part of what I had to do was which, which, when you look back at it, you know, having grown and being a parent. Um, so one of the school rules was not uh, to wear flip flops. Yes. You know, yes. flip flops or sandals. Well, there are some families who can't afford tennis shoes. So, yep. you know, shoes. And so maybe the, the kids could only afford flip flops. So, mind you, so a, a, a student wears flip flops to school, and it's your job as a head boy. To actually confiscate those flip flops and said, "Hey, you're breaking the school rules." So mm -hmm. now, the, the, now that this <laughs> this student is walking around school 
Barefoot. True. I did that. So, so it's a, a fine balance, you know, striking a balance between, um, you know, enforcing the rules and still maintain some kind of not making enemies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there are some people who consider enemies to this day. Because when I had my classmate on, when I interviewed my classmate recently and he was giving an example of the day I was trying to, I was chasing someone around, I was like, I can't recall that person. But it just brought back memories, and there were some who, after I graduated, we 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 kissed and made up, and yes, yes. everything seemed to be fine. And then, um, oh, is there an echo? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm hearing an echo. That's why I was just checking. Oh, you have a oh, you have an headset. Okay, yeah. That will help. All right. Okay. Oh, just a second. <laughs> yeah, I did the first time and I wasn't sure. I was like, wait. Oh yeah, I was writing down a point, so luckily I can I can build it up from there. Because it's something that I, I, I've never even thought about. Okay. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, no. so it's, there's no echo anymore, right? No, I don't hear any echo. Uh, do okay. you, you hear me loud and clear? Yes, yes. All right, that's good. Sorry, I was using speakers and I forgot there would be an uh, echo. So All right, that's fine. We, <laughs> okay. It went on for a little bit, so yeah, that, that was good. <laughs> okay. So yeah, um, holding office as uh, in school is as a kid qualified as a skill builder and... Uh, yeah, it's something that, you know, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's one or two people who may have something against me for how I handled <laughs> it back then, which, hey, I'm, I'm sorry if you, if I, if I, I, I let the power get to my head. Yeah, everybody, I, I did overdo it. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I overdid it sometimes. But mm -hmm. I, I know I did not, uh, when it came to like something like enforcing the no flip-flops, uh, because as the guy who had to catch People came late. If you came late, yeah, I came late, yeah. And I caught you with flip flops. Yeah, I'll, I'll seize it from you. But at the end of school, you could get it back from me. Yeah, because I'm. Yeah. Oh, what am I gonna do with your flip flops? I can't take it home. I don't want it. <laughs> and your feet was obviously smaller than mine. I don't even want to put the same. I don't want to put my flip my feet in your flip flops uh, in the first place. So no, I gave people back their flip flops. If you wore um, sneakers, you weren't supposed to wear sneakers. I was at a public school. So yeah, you weren't supposed to do all that. So uh, it was come pick it up. But a lot of people were mad at me. A lot of juniors were mad at me for doing that. I made you pick up trash. You know that's trash, the way with yeah. all the litters that are yeah. littered around. You know that's how you keep the compound clean. Um, yeah, so we did stuff like that. So there were juniors obviously cussing at me. Um, if you showed mm -hmm. up and your uniform was dirty, 
Yeah, yeah. You, I had to give you some manual labor to do. <laughs> I did that. Um, if you, you're, you're like your zipper, like, I don't know. The, but the I knew people mean, couldn't mean, afford mean, it. Yeah, missing buttons. Yeah, yeah, missing buttons. For the boys, I, the boys, that's the one I couldn't really, it, that made me feel bad. Like the boys, their 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 shorts, the zipper had broken, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah come on, man! I I that I I'll use my my pocket change that I had. That's the one. I, I there's no way I was coming to school with a broken zipper. There's no way I will show up to school with that. But there were some yeah. kids who didn't care and they still show up to school. But I remember paying for somebody once because I just looked at him. Yeah. He was he was a junior that I liked too, and I was like, well, "Come on, what what happened?" And he said he didn't have money. To fix it, so I, I gave him. I think I had, I had I had some change on me, and I just said, "Do take go 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 get it fixed, go get it fixed." Yeah. But you know, we were we were lucky because my dad was a a, a tailor by by trade. Ah, so, <laughs> so all we had to do. So you know how people say, uh, so somebody has uh, what is it called? Um, I forgot oh, the, the word. This. Uh, it, not not custom made, uh, but uh, like if if you're wealthy and you you go to a desi designer suit or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Designer clothes. So I was, you know, we we'll go to the market. You buy the the cloth and just bring it, and my dad would take the measurements. Oh, the material. If, yeah, if you want a pair of jeans, uh -huh. make jeans. Yeah, and depending on how many pockets you want, you say that I want pockets on the side and the front. You have as many. Pockets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, so we we were lucky in, in that. Uh, so I actually never. That's one of my regrets that I never learned how to sew. I mean, I can uh, hem, stitch, hem, sew button buttonholes, and <laughs> yeah, I, I had the opportunity to do that. But being uh, a typical naughty boy, uh, mm -hmm. I was like, that's for girls. Yeah, 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 you look at it, and my dad will always would tell us, "Oh, you guys think your school is the most important thing? You also need to learn a trade." And if I had that trade in the in the United States, I would be banking. You know, I have your own dry cleaning, dry yeah, cleaning business, it, 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 alter, it, it, alteration. It's, it's, uh, yeah. It, I, I mean, it was later on that um i think yeah around when i was 18 it was um there was a guy that my sister's um biz, uh, my sister owned the fashion designing business and herself and her husband owned it and mm -hmm. there was these two guys that they hired those are like the two most skillful people i've ever met in my life they're from northern nigeria uh-huh i've never seen people anywhere in the world as skillful as these two men one of them jamal i can't remember his colleague's name jamal will literally look at you. He can just look at you and embroidery, do embroidery of your face onto an oh, outfit. Wow. Oh, really? He can that do that. Is... I've never seen anybody wow. that can do that, like this guy. Wow. The only thing, Jamal's wow. problem is just women. <laughs> His ah. whole money goes to women. <laughs> well, all, all his heart and money. <laughs> That's it. it all, that, yeah. that guy has gone, he, Jamal has his story. He, the stories he has told me, he has, he has gone up to Libya. Embroidery. People have wow. taken him to Libya to go do embroidery. They've taken him to South Africa. They've taken, like, this wow. guy, he he worked with my, when he worked my, for my study, 24 hours, 24-7, they were just making clothes, making clothes. They go sell the clothes in South Africa. He was just embroidery, 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 embroidery. They'll bring photos for him and he would just sit down look at the photo and put the picture embroidered on an outfit embroidered. Oh, and I was wow. just like, wow. That's when I was looking at it. I was like, wow, this is skills. 
Yeah, that, that's the first time. So he was the first person that made me start to put on traditional outfit because I I, yeah. I used to be I used to, like even now I still wear a lot of t-shirts which is yeah. it just comes naturally to me but I right from childhood I used to be like that but Jamal looked at me one day and said uh, the day my sister hired him mm-hmm. he told my sister that how can you have a brother um, in this house and you're a fashion designer and he doesn't wear your 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 creations yeah, yeah, imagine yeah, it's like you're wasting yeah. your time this guy won't wear anything you don't go make something expensive you can't waste good material on this guy he said <laughs> madam this guy loves wearing jeans. I can make something that he 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 will wear and he will go. He will bring customers for you anywhere he goes. He will bring customers for you. So something and, you can wear with a pair of jeans. Yeah, he said that, yeah. and I was laughing. And then he made this outfit with kente. He added mm-hmm. kente to like a brocade. Yeah, pink brocade. And I was like, pink? I'm gonna wear pink? What the hell wrong with you, man? <laughs> man, he said, just try it. Man, I wore this stuff mm-hmm. one day to. I, we we're living in the Badon then. I wore it to Coco House, which is like the mm-hmm. highbrow place where all the rich kids came. Yeah. And I wore it there, and people, where, 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 where did this come from? Where, where, you, buy, where, where you buy this? How much? And people were like, oh, all these rich kids oh, never talked to me in their life. So they're stepping up to me. They want to know. That's how I brought business for my sister. I told wow. my sister, I was like, oh, start wearing it, start wearing it, start wearing it. Jamal, make more for him, make more. I started wearing, <laughs> I started wearing like I became a, a walking billboard. billboard you know, anywhere yeah. I go, people were like, man, I'm, where, what, bro? You, 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 bro, who are you? I want to know you. I want to know, like, I was like, what? You mean this? I, I, I didn't know, realize people add value like it. <laughs> yeah. But that guy, I don't know. The, the last time I saw him, he was in Lagos. The place, the person that hired him, mm-hmm. they had a security guard outside of. <laughs> I, I had to lie about why I was there. Wow. Because he saw the, the people were fighting to get him. So they're poaching him. It's like, wow. <laughs> coming to. Wow. It's like, and I'm like, do they even pay him properly? Do they pay him the money is worth? But it's oh. like they just keep him there, like to make him make stuff. And I was like, damn, that's the first time I started seeing value in in tailoring, in, in yeah. something related to tailoring. Because I was, I used to be like, ah, this is not, this is not. There's no money in this. There's no money. But Jamal, Jamal, Jamal. As soon as he just sees one beautiful woman, wee, hey, that money go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was just his problem. Cause if it's I uh, if I bring that guy to the United States now, nah, that, that, that oh guy, yeah, he, that guy, he, yeah, oh man, that guy, he's, he's oh man, uh, that, 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 that that guy, somebody, I think someone came to the house and made a bet with him, and said, Raph always claims you can look at somebody and embroider their face on an outfit. Mm. He said, yeah, that's not hard. <laughs> he said that's not hard. It's, 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 and I don't know where he lent it. It's not like he had any formal education, but he just, it's like a natural gift yeah, for him. But the guy, oh, it just pains me when I talk, talk about it. Like, man, the, the woman was timing me because before they finally allowed me to go in, to yeah. go see him at that place. The, the, the madame came out because she hadn't seen me before, but it was, uh, his former boss was trying to send a message to him. They wanted to take him to South oh, Africa. That, so that, that, they knew that he, the former boss can't show up there. The woman knows the former boss's face, so they had to use me. Because oh, well, I, I, okay, I wasn't living okay. in Lagos, so nobody's like the, the one knew everybody. So I showed up there. Security guard drilled me like a job interview, and said, "Okay, <laughs> this one is safe. All right, come in." The madam came. Who are you? Ask me questions right left back. What did you do yesterday and all this? I'm like, what is going on here? Oh, she was um, screaming and all that. And then Jamal noticed, and then Jamal came. He was like, "Oh, madam, madam, let him be. This, this, this is my boy. This is my boy. Ah, I haven't seen. Ah, how did you find me?" He said, "Come, come, come." So I whispered to him, he's like, okay, ah, okay, let's go, let's go. 
The madam was like, where are you going? Yeah. I was like, madam, it's okay. It's okay. I'll be back. Yeah, I'll be back. Don't worry. It's my, bo it's my brother, yeah. He doesn't look like he's from your tribe. He said, don't worry about it. I was like, wow, Jamal, this place is tight. That the guy had a gun. <laughs> this guy had a wow. gun. I said they were protecting this guy. And I brought him to his former boss. And I was like, yep. That, 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 that's the first time I saw how they got someone with skill. And when he was working for yeah, my sister, they, they was, he was free to go anywhere he wanted. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah man, he has in very uh, invaluable skill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. What? Before we go further, let's take a quick break. And when we return back, we're going to focus on your arrival in the United States. And you will take it up from there. Hi, everyone. Your host, Raphael Harry here. I can't believe we have gone past our one-year anniversary of doing White Label American. I've had the privilege of speaking with some amazing people, sharing their modern day immigrant stories. And you've allowed this Nigerian immigrant to share parts of his immigrant journey through this podcast. Also, one of my goals of this podcast is breaking down artificial walls that keep people from getting to understand each other. Based on your wonderful feedback, over the last year, I think we have done a decent job in breaking down some of those walls. We would like to continue and expand on this mission, but we need your help. I've had an amazing time creating and producing episodes for this show largely on my own. We have a lot of ideas for new and exciting content to expand upon the mission, but we need direct support from you, our listener, which is why we have created White Label American Patreon page where you can make a one-time donation or become a sustaining contributor where you can get access to exclusive content, help me interview upcoming guests by submitting questions, and even have the chance to sit down with me for a one-on-one -on -one conversation either virtually or in studio. So if this podcast means something to you, and if you really love this show, think about becoming a sustaining contributor and donating by going to patreon.com slash white label American POD. Thanks for listening and for the privilege of your company. Welcome back and thank you for staying with us. So, before you arrive in America, how did your coming to America? How did it happen? When did you decide you're moving to America? Um, actually, the, the first time I came to the United States was in 1992. And I actually came for a conference. Uh, it was the Baha'i World Congress. That's another story. I'm a Baha'i. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a world congress, um, so there were there were Baha'is from all over the world uh, converged in New York City. Oh, um, my city! Yes, in New York City in 1992, and so that actually was the first time I ever traveled to the United States, even outside of. Well, I went to Senegal, but Senegal is considered Gambia. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, 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 <laughs> the, the, the Gambia people. is literally like 
it, it's almost it's, like it's Lesotho like, and um, Eswatini. South Africa, yeah. It's inside South Africa. That's how Gambia is in Yes, we're, we're surrounded on all sides except to the ocean. Um, and we actually speak the same language, Gambia yeah. and Senegal. We have cousins across the border and uncles and aunts. But so it was 1992, November, came to the World Congress in New York City. And um, so the, the, we are, the, the, the airplane, the plane, airplane of aircraft, it touched down, I think it was early in the morning, probably eight, nine o'clock in the morning. And the first thing that I noticed was an overcast sky, you know, like it was cloudy. And I was mm -hmm. like, wow, this is gloomy. This is depressing. <laughs> you know, because growing up in Gambia, the only time it's cloudy is when it's about to rain. rain yeah. <laughs> and, and it was overcast. So the guy came and picked us up from the airport. A friend of a friend picked, up, picked us up from the airport and was driving. And I think it was November, right before Thanksgiving. It, I think it snowed. Was there. there was ice on the road. And the next thing you know, I think he hit a patch of ice and the vehicle spun around. And, you know, I, I wasn't aware of what's going on. And right now, if it happened to me riding with someone, I'll probably have a heart attack. <laughs> but, but I guess when you're younger, you think you're invincible. Yeah. So we made, it, we made it to the hotel. And the hotel was, uh, it's called the Edison Hotel, I think. Uh, up, up close to Broadway. I don't know what street okay. it was, but there was Broadway around there. That sounds familiar. There. Yes. And so that was my first time here. And I, I stayed for about uh, the, the, the conference, the Congress or conference was just a week, but there was also this young guy. Uh, he, he was a, he, in 1988, 89, he came to Gambia, Baha'i youth. Um, he came to do a year of service. So mm -hmm. I partnered with him. We lived in the country, in the village, teaching adult literacy. So he also, he and his family were down there. So he's like, hey, since we're all here, let's go come stay with me and my family. So we drove from New York to Cincinnati, and I stayed with them for about three months. Oh, wow. And, and then I went back to Gambia. So when I went back to Gambia, people thought I lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and they were asking my brother, because I, yeah. then I was a school teacher. You know, I had gone to the teacher's college. I was a qualified teacher. I was teaching middle school and high school. And I went back to my teaching job, and people would be pointing at me when I walked down the street. They said, this guy is a fool. He went all the way to the United <laughs> States and came back. <sighs> So when I came back, I actually had a return ticket, right? So my friend Kevin bought me a round trip ticket. And he said, now, you know, when you get... So I had a multiple entry visa. Yeah. It was a visitor's visa, a multiple entry. So when, uh, if you want to come back, just come back. So when I got back, I already made up my mind I wasn't coming back. So I had to hide the ticket from my siblings because they kept pounding me. Why did you come back? And I know if people knew I had a round trip ticket, they'll probably chase me out of town. <laughs> <laughs> and and my my younger brother bless his heart he, he he lives in england he's in the uk he's lived there as long as i've lived in the united states and he was like man if it were me i would live under the bridge and not come back you know people don't know how hard it is to live yeah. under a doggone bridge you hear i believe <laughs> it's easier to say it 
until yeah. you, until you have yeah. to leave it, and then it's like, woo, this is uh, exactly. yeah. So 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 that that was my the first time I came I came here, and I think one of the uh, questions was about culture shock, right? Yeah, I was so going to ask for, that. For, <laughs> for me, it wasn't actually a culture shock, but it, well, it was a surprise because um, the reason why it wasn't so much of a culture shock was because my high school teacher was from the United States and I became best friends with the son. So I was always hanging around them, uh, you know. So I had an idea of some of the stuff in the United States. But one of, one of, one of the things I, uh, was that, um, well, the first thing I noticed, I don't know if, you know, now it probably still would be the same. In New York City, it was loud, okay? Yeah. And there were all constantly uh, cabs, taxi drivers just blowing their horns. <laughs> and that was, I was like, wow, this is something else. And the vehicles were big, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, now, now you're used to it. They're not so big. But the first thing you notice was the people were big. The people, the vehicles were big. <laughs> <laughs> So that was that was a surprise. But one of the things that I wanted to to I tell people this story all the time, right? So this guy picked us picked us up from the airport, dropped us at the front of the hotel, and they called him. Well, I didn't know the name the name the, the name at the time, but bellhops or whatever. Yeah. So so came, I picked up luggage. You know, took you up this esca- uh, elevator to the. Um, to the room, right? So my first culture uh, surprise was tipping. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so now that I look now when I look back, having lived here for 25 years, I was like, oh man, I feel so terrible. This older guy took my luggage upstairs and I didn't tip him because I didn't know there was uh, any such thing called tipping. Yeah. And so in the hotel, there were, you know, uh, some Africans, this guy, a roommate, were roommate with this guy from Cameroon. And there were also some other, uh, you know, brothers from, uh, from the continent who came to uh, this Congress. And so in the morning, we'll go down to have breakfast, right? Okay, you're down there, breakfast. You have people waiting on you, right? You're like, okay, I want this off the menu, I want this off the menu. And they wait on you. You eat, you get up and leave. No tip. So now when I look back, <laughs> now when I look back, I was, I was like, man, there must have been like those darn ignorant people were waiting on them and they wouldn't even leave a tip. But those are some of the cultural things that people are not aware of. And, yeah, yeah. and people may think that you're, you're just being stingy. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not being. Yeah. And so the first time I knew about tips was actually, so I was living you know, in Cincinnati, staying in Cincinnati with my friend, Kevin. So we decided to drive to Chicago with one of his friends. So we went there uh, to Chicago, spent the night. We were actually visiting the Baha'i House of Worship there. And so we went to a restaurant and we ordered pizza. We were eating and everybody got up and I was the last person to get up. And I saw money on the table. And I thought my friend actually forgot to take his money. So I grabbed the money and went after him. I'm like, yo, Kevin, you left your money on the table. He said, Malas, Malas, oh, that's for the, uh, the person waiting on it. That's a tip. Uh, and that was my first introduction to tips. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, because in, in certain cultures, somebody does something for you and you yeah. give them money, they'll feel offended. That's you know? true. That's true. And so, that, so that, that's that, true. <laughs> And then the second time I came, okay, so I don't know if you have a, a follow-up question to that. But then I went back to Gambia after staying for, you know, three months. So I went back, went back to my teaching job. And so I taught for two years and then said, oh, okay, now, because at the time there was no university in the Gambia. So I've had the highest level of education, you know, in Gambia, you go to a teacher, teacher's training college or agricultural training, you, yeah. you get some things that equivalent to um, an associate's degree. Okay, and that was it. So if you wanted further training, you either go to Nigeria, Sierra Leone, or Ghana. So I applied for a scholarship to go to Nigeria, of course. I didn't get, you know, they, they didn't give me one. So I said, okay, hey, maybe now's the time to try to go to the United States. And so in 96, I came here the second the second time in '96. Um, that's so. When I came back the second time, uh, there was not so much as well. So in Cincinnati, you can imagine. I'll, I'll backtrack. When I was in Cincinnati, so it was November, right? Yeah. So in Gambia, never seen snow. Get out, <laughs> and there's like, like two feet of snow or something. Ooh. And then my friend's dad, God bless his. He'd be like, well, you guys, we can't drive out on the drive. We're going to go shovel snow. And here was I, used to 70 degree temperatures or 75. Ooh. All of a sudden, this is like in the minus whatever. I'm out there like trying to shovel the snow from the, from the driveway so, so we, we can leave the house. So that was a shock, you know, you know snow. Um, but yeah, so the second time I came, I uh, landed in Texas. <laughs> Uh, you you were like this is a different planet. This is it. I'm 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 not leaving. So yeah, so so I came to Texas and um I came to Texas uh yeah in '96 and um so when I got here it was summer, right? Mm -hmm. So it's hot. <laughs> and Texas hot is different from Gambia or the rest of Africa hot. It's yes. hot and humid. When I tell people, bad. people be arguing with me when I tell them. I'm like, yeah, I experienced, I've experienced hot in Nigeria. I've experienced hot in the Middle East. I experienced hot in Texas. I experienced hot in Virginia. I experienced hot in New York. I don't want to do Texas hot. <laughs> yeah, Texas hot is not the same as any hot anywhere. So I got here. It was August of 96, and it was hot. And I said... Is this America? Exactly. <laughs> because, because now I'm comparing it. The first time I came, it was winter. So I was in Cincinnati. It was mm -hmm. cold. I was in New York for a week, and it was cold. And all of a sudden, it was hotter than where I just left. And I was like, this cannot be the United States. <laughs> it's a different country. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, yeah, so that was another shock. Because most of us, when we watch movies, uh, Hollywood movies in Gambia, uh, I think a lot of them are shot in New York or somewhere. People have trench coats, they have scarves. Yeah. And you think everywhere in the United States, it's like that. So you land in tech, you know, in the middle of summer in Texas in August, you question, is this really the United States? <laughs> you know, but, just before I, I arrived in 2007, um, mm -hmm. there was a heat wave, I think in 20, 2006. Mm -hmm. And I was in Portacourt and there were people who were talking to people. Well, how, how these people, how much heat is killing these people? How are people dying in America? Yeah. My, my brother is telling me that there's people, that there's heat wave in Virginia. 
Where mm-hmm. is that? Where my mom is at? And like, yeah, it's heat wave in New York. I'm like, how much? Then there's no heat there. What kind of heat are these people? I'm like, this probably they're calling heat will probably be like uh, air conditioned for us. And we're like, <laughs> when I arrive and my first summer comes, woo, man, I, 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 where I'm staying at, there's no air condition. Man, I'm, I'm almost, I'm almost naked. By the time summer, I'm like, what is this? What is this? This this is heat. This what kind of heat is this? What, how can America be this hot? Hot, exactly. How can people be surviving with air condition? What? <laughs> I'm I'm complaining. I was on a call to, to someone back home, and I'm complaining. He's like, I, "Are you sure you're in America?" I said, "Yes." I'm <laughs> suffering right now. I can't put on clothes indoors. I can't put on clothes indoors. <laughs> I can't. I'm telling you. believe. Why? Why you tell them? They don't believe you. They don't until yeah, they come yeah, experience yeah. it, and then it's yeah. like, "Woo!" They're like, "Uh huh." Why? Why you experience? Like, well, you did not tell me that it was this hot. I was like, "Oh, so you thought I was making it up?" <laughs> it is. It is. Ah. Oh, the the other thing about uh, culture cultural surprise. Yeah. <clears throat> so, the second time I came in 1996, um, got married. And I was working at this uh, electronics store. And uh, this lady would offer me a ride home. I didn't have a car, right? And my wife at the time would be like, did you, did you offer gas money? I'm like, huh? She's like, no, that's, <laughs> it's rude for people to give you a ride and you don't offer them gas money. I'm like, where I come from? When people say they're going to do something for you, they don't expect for you to yeah so so that was i just thought i'll bring that up so that yeah. was another thing I, and, I, I understand. And everybody listening i do offer gas money yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and i'm a generous tip a tip or two i tip <laughs> Ah, but sometimes Ooh. being a generous tipper can backfire. If you go, if you go to Europe now, and then you want to tip, and they 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 they, they be looking at you like, uh, you, you forgot your money. The waiter will actually chase you yeah, in some places. Exactly. Like, uh, you forgot exactly. your money. You are like, no, I'm trying to tip you. Like, uh, no, exactly. I, I don't need your tip. So, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. ah. uh, quick question on your faith: Is the Baha'i faith big in the Gambia? Yeah. So the Baha'i faith is actually, um. And anywhere you go in the world, uh, you'll find Baha'i. <laughs> so, I, I know, I know, it's, it's in Nigeria, but yeah. it, it's probably one of those that I I didn't even take note of because Nigeria mm. is so Pentecostal. Well, I would say Christian and Islam focused. That yeah. it, it's by mistake. Sometimes you just realize because they demonize every other thing. Yes, yeah. Except yeah. when it's kind of like beneficial to not demonize it, then it's like you get good. But it's like, like um, even Hari, I know Hari Krishna existed, but mm-hmm. it was the, the the guy who was like the the guru. He was very charismatic, so he used to pay put um he bought a lot of airtime on TV. Airtime on TV. So that's how I got to know of Hari Krishna. Otherwise, I wouldn't even know that something existed. But um, Baha'i faith, I think it was. By mistake, yeah, I think when I, I I don't I don't know I think I was a teenager, and mm-hmm. I either I went to visit somebody, you know, or I I don't know if I was one of the days I, I was able to sneak away from home or something, but I just happened to be with someone who I was in their neighborhood, and oh. they took me through where the temples are, but 
yeah. the way they described it, it sounded like, oh, these are bad people, kind of language yeah. that they use. Because <laughs> if you're not Christians or Muslims, yeah. if you could yeah, be Pentecostal, because yeah. Christians then are break up into um, Orthodox or yeah. Pentecostal. But it's mm -hmm. like, oh, these are one of those people. And that's how it now kind of stayed in my brain without realizing that it was in there. And then later on in life, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen Baha'i before. Yeah, where, I, where, yeah. where did I see that? Like, oh, I see, I saw their temple somewhere. And then I'm like, yeah. yes. And, and then I'm like, oh, but yeah, then and I realized, oh, yeah, the person said this was bad people, kind of. And, <laughs> yeah, like, hey, these are the lost yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, okay. kind of thing. So <laughs> so I was just surprised when, when you mentioned uh, in Gambia, I was like, oh, Oh yeah, that's yeah. So I, I remember because yeah. uh, it wasn't like a surprise. It wasn't like the first time I've heard, uh, heard it, okay. of Baha'i faith. Because yeah, but we we have everything like in Nigeria. We do, but it just if you don't have political power behind you, yeah, you are uh, uh, yeah a lot of it. You, you you're coming it's from mixing with politics. Oh yeah, yeah. You're, you're coming from. Uh, you, you, there's a big uphill battle for you. So yeah, in in Gambia when I was living there in uh, 25 years ago mm -hmm. a lot of people knew about it um knew, or knew of it knew about it because what we used to do also was we'll have something like a book stand you know like in a busy intersection we were like yeah. hey do you want to hear this hey do you want to hear this and the, my friend that i mentioned kevin who came to the gambia to do a year of service in 88 89 one of the things that we did was travel to a lot of schools back then <clears throat> the uh, the body that administers the affairs of the Baha'i faith uh, mm -hmm. throughout the world, it's called the Universal House of Justice. They put out a publication called The Promise of World Peace. Okay. Um, and the, 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 the document actually outlines how humanity, the steps we can take to bring about peace, you know, in the world. And, you know, and so we would travel around and, give, you know, ask the principals, hey, can we just give a, a speech, uh, not a speech, but, you know, have a, uh, a conversation with the students about this document and this document, it's not about, it's not, we're not pushing religion, we're just pushing about ideas of how to bring about world peace, of course, based on the Baha'i teachings, but yeah. So now, ha having left the Gambia all these years, I think actually it's, it's more known now than it was back when back I was then. there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think being that we have so many Christian and Islamic controlled uh, uh, foundation schools, foundation-based schools. Yeah, they, they probably, if um, people from the Baha'i faith have tried to show up, they probably got turned back at most of those <laughs> schools. Because, yeah, I don't recall ever having any... Because I probably would have asked questions if people like that had showed up. I, in my, yeah. there, are lot of, there would have been a lot of ignorant questions I would have asked, but... No. I, I, no, no, back then, because I, I was very hardcore, but uh, I would have engaged. And then probably a lot of the cracks would have begun, you know, <laughs> earlier. But uh, yeah, no, no, but it's, it's it, I know that now, now, now that you say that, I'm, there, it's, there are some images that are just coming back to my mind. So it's good that, uh, yeah, I'm, that, that, that's why I'm, I'm happy that I brought you on the, on the podcast. Cause... Yeah, so, so not to proselytize or whatever, but. Uh, the images you were talking about, the Baha'i faith, you can look it up online, but uh, it's it's about bringing about unity and world peace and love and mm -hmm. uh, that humanity, we're all the same. All religions are actually the same. They, they just come from 
it's like going to elementary school, right? Your yeah. first teacher, second grade teacher, third grade teacher. So just because you went to second grade doesn't mean your first grade teacher was no good, right? Mm-hmm. So the, we believe that all the messengers, you know, Judeo-Christianity messengers, you know, Abraham going through Krishna, Buddha, all this, Jesus, Muhammad, that they all brought the same message, really, if you look at it. They, you know, people are the ones interpreting it differently, and that's why we have all, all this all, all this craziness going on. But if mm-hmm. you look at the message itself, it's, it's about love. Every religion has <laughs> love in it. Um, so that, so that's, uh, I don't know how we got, got no, to no, that. No, 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 that's yeah. right. I'm the one that took us down that route. So it's, it's okay. okay. It's not on you. <laughs> so, um, you are also a dad and before you became a dad, you were married mm-hmm. and, um, you know, to your ex-wife. <laughs> and, um, if you don't mind, did you meet your ex-wife over here or did she come from the Gambia? Uh, so I actually married the first Texan that kissed me. <laughs> <laughs> that that actually sounds like the title of a of, of a movie. Of a movie, right? Yeah. So that's, I I tell people and they think it's a joke, but yeah. So I remember working in this uh, department store, and and she uh, she. I don't know what was going on, but she she gave me a hug and kissed me. And the next thing you know, I said, "Man, I love this lady." I mean, she was she was a nice lady, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, hey, I've ended up married, right? <laughs> and and then now that I'm 54, right? I'm looking back. I was 29 at the time, and I was getting. I was about to turn 30, and and, and there was a sense of urgency, and mm. I was like, "I'm getting old." Yeah. I actually need to get married, you know. I'm getting old. Well, now, were, were, were there were there phone calls from back home? Like, well, well, how, how long we're gonna wait for you to get married or what? No, no. They, they <laughs> it was, was just they, you who was. It was just me putting the pressure on yourself. Yes, that I was getting ready to turn thirty, and I need to do, needed to do something. I was getting old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that too, because I, I I once put that pressure on myself and almost 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 came yeah. close. Luckily, the, the person snapped me out of it, and, <laughs> and then I was like, I'm not interested anymore, and then I met someone. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to settle down, then I met who I'm with today, and then it changed. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I remember when I met you in 2013, um, you were not quite ready yet. So over the years, you know, through Facebook, and I said, oh, he settled down. Okay. He <laughs> You must have met something, somebody really special. Uh, yeah, I, 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 tell, I tell you, people don't believe. My, my woman, she, she finds it hard to believe sometimes that uh, yeah. I was that person who was like, yeah, I said, I'm, I'm, I don't care about having kids. I don't care about, say, why, why, why do I want to have a kid? Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Some people are like, wow, I don't, you, you're so into your daughter's life. Like, um, I, don't, I don't believe you ever... That person who was like, you, you, you were not going to settle down and have a chat. I was like, uh, have you met me? You haven't met me. <laughs> you haven't met that person. That's why. <laughs> uh, so now that you're a father and mm-hmm. you're, you know, being a dad in America, how has that changed who you are today? Um, a lot. There are actually a lot of challenges. So, so from my first union, I have a, a, a 22-year-old daughter. She still stays with me. She still lives lives with me, and then I, then I had a, a partner in, uh, uh, and from that union, we have four children, 
uh, two boys and two girls. Uh, the oldest is 16, just, just turned 16. The other one getting ready to turn 15. Wow. The other great, one great is getting ages. ready to, yeah, <laughs> the, the, other one, the other one is getting ready to turn uh, 14 and the other. So the, the, so it, dip, it actually is different because when we were growing, we, we were growing up, um, a friend of mine, we were talking and we were like, oh, as kids, you know, our parents knew we were around, but they were not really engaged with us. Mm. You know, you, you get up in the morning, go play soccer, lunchtime, your mom hollers at you, come eat lunch, you come eat lunch, then you disappear again, come home. Yeah. And sometimes your dad even confuses your name with your sibling. <laughs> <laughs> I know that one well. <laughs> so, so here it's different because you... You, you have to engage your, the children engage you. They come home from school. They want to talk about their school. They want to talk about their experiences. They ask you questions. So, you know, and, and then now being a parent, you look back uh, at your dad and you're like, wow, this is what my dad went through. You know, just the, mm -hmm. the whole pressure of having to, you know, the whole pressure of providing for your family, yeah. keeping them safe and all that. Yes. Yeah, that that's why um, I've said this on the podcast before. And uh, there was a day I was having a conversation with my neighbor from balcony to balcony. And uh, I told him that, yeah, probably a few years ago, I wouldn't be this person. But since I had my daughter, I mm -hmm. kind of have sympathy or maybe empathy for the, the people who, you know, Abandoned children, or yeah. you know, and, uh, who the, the over, are overwhelmed, overwhelmed, and yeah. can't and you know give up the child, and they can't do it. So I'm abandoning mm -hmm. the child at a, you know a place where they feel they can get care, or they just you know give the child up for adoption. I'm not saying the ones who kill the children, but even the ones yeah. who do something drastic, I'm not recommending saying I support them. I don't know that, but I kind of have empathy for them. Because there's a lot of us who we went into the, you know the the you're not you know there's no the preparation is never there you know no, no and no. it's it's like the messaging is always like it's easy or well, once the child comes everything will be easy and then <laughs> it hits you and then that's when a whole different emotional setting is opened in your brain and in your body and your system. And you start to see like, wow, our people were dealing with some stuff and you can understand how some people mentally changed, how some people were no longer as friendly as they were or how some people yeah. became somebody else after they had mm -hmm. children. Because when they say, well, children, people yeah. change after they have a child, it's not always about um, financial or just physically, but some the mentally it changes people. Yeah. And yes, yes. Ch children actually... Um, not to cut you off, yeah. I tell people, I said, you know, I've been around a little long, <laughs> a little while, mm -hmm. and I can tell you that when, before, you know, you, as a couple, before children, and after you have a child, it's always different afterwards. Yeah. And then it becomes, then you really have to work on the relationship. <laughs> True. Because now the, the focus is not on either of you, and it's on the child, and you tend to forget each other, and you know, uh, so yes, you're right. So it, it, it's, it's hard. And the, let, let me just bring this real quickly. So the, the four children, they're all now getting to be teenagers. Um, uh, so, you know, 
with with their mom she had you know other issues including mental mental health issues mm. and so i actually so every time uh she had a child when as soon as the child comes home i actually took over so i gave them their first bath yeah uh, and if i'm telling you uh, of all the uh, all the four children i woke up every single night changed a diaper and fed them mm. she, she she never had to do that and so you you look at that because this was a person I, I i don't think i was hardcore like it but i when i met my my first wife before we had a child and she was 33 and she never was never pre- pregnant never had a child and now I, I was one of those people who said well i don't care if i have a child okay well yeah. if i don't but now when i look back you know at where i am today i really love children mm-hmm. you know I really love, and I, and I don't know what my life would have been without children. <laughs> that's what. That's why it, it shows. It shows in how you your relationship is with your children, and yeah, yeah I mean, I, I I love children, but you know, like when you met me, and I've I've always had a relationship with children, but I was like, nah, I don't want to have one of my own. <laughs> that was just me until um, I was finally ready to have my own, yeah. and. It, it happened and I was just fortunate that it happened that way. And good thing, I don't know what would have happened if that first time I tried to push a marriage, mm-hmm. if that had come, I don't know the type of person, the type of person I was back then, yeah, I probably would have been, it would have been too much weight for me. It would have been too much weight for that person. I would probably would have just buried myself in work and be showing up. <laughs> Yeah, when the child, yeah, go 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 to work when the child is before the child wakes up, then come back when the child is asleep, that kind of thing. I have I know someone who has something like that going, great job, and he come you know, one day he finally broke down, complained about that to me, and I I, I felt for the brother when he finally, yeah. you know, because it's a great job he has, fantastic job. That you know, the way we talk about it back home, like mm-hmm. This is the kind of this the son. This is the type of son you want to show families. This is my son. This is my son. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. But that son is like I, I haven't seen my daughter for like two years. Wow. I, I don't. I haven't. I'm not seeing my daughter grow. You know, and he's like you. You yeah, are seeing you, you, grow. Yeah, you miss out a lot because yeah. those are fun, fun. You know, fun times and fun when they're beginning to to speak and mm-hmm. trying to express themselves, show yeah. their little personalities. <laughs> So, um, before I'm, I'm gonna start to wrap it up because uh, okay. you've given me a lot of your time, but I can't go out without asking. Um, you, 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 you're involved in two. I have to ask about two um, important things. You mm-hmm. um, work a lot in the IT field. Yeah. And um, how did you get into that field? Seeing your mm-hmm. background, you didn't. Uh, of you, your fish, you know, in the Gambia, you didn't sound like someone who was playing with computers back then. No, no. And then no. you know, you, you come to the United States. So, how, how did you get into that field? For those who are listening, who might not have uh, an idea of um, computers or IT right now. So yeah, so I didn't grow up with computers. Um, so remember, um, my friend. Um, who I told you that the, the the mom was from here. Yes. And she was our English teacher in high school. And the dad is from Iraq. 
And so they are Baha'is. They actually introduced me to the Baha'i faith, by the way. Yeah. So we were friends. And in 87, which sounds like a long time ago, so he had an Apple computer and he would play games, mm-hmm. you know. And that's actually how I learned to type. People look at me and they're surprised. This is this, is this older African man. Like typing fast with using all ten fingers, and that's how I learned how to. I learned, he taught me how to type, shoot, you know, shooting stuff down or whatever, looking at the key, press the, you know, certain key, and that's how I learned how to type. So yes, I went to a teacher's college, became a teacher, and after that, I never messed with computers. They didn't use one. Uh, I remember as a school teacher, we had a computer lab and we had to enter our grades in, and I would be terrified. Uh, of putting my grades in the computer because I would think I'll mess up the, the computer itself if I made a mistake. <laughs> so, so I came here in 96 and, you know, you go to any college in this country, the first thing you do is uh, say, okay, you have a computer lab, computer class, right? Yeah. To, to learn uh, Microsoft Word, Office, you know, Microsoft Office, Word, PowerPoint, you know, Access and Excel. And I'm telling you, I used to be so stressed out doing those assignments because I'll be in the computer lab, the same, the same thing. I think if I made a mistake on a spreadsheet, I actually would mess up the machine itself. I would be <laughs> very stressed out. And I eventually got over that. So I said, okay, so this is the, an application, you know, then I, then I started saying, Hey, I actually want to see, to know what's inside that box. I know whatever is inside that box is what's projecting what we're seeing. I want to know what's inside that box. So I went to another uh, community college in Dallas, uh, El Centro, and I took a computer hardware class. Around that time, I started working at Price Electronics, which was an electronics, you know, computer store that sold computer parts. And back in the mid to late 90s, the rage rage was building your own computer. Mm -hmm. So so I started working at this computer store, and then I, I said, okay, so inside this box are parts that work together to produce what you see on the screen. On the screen. So I, I was very much interested in computer hardware. So I learned the computer parts. I was selling them. I learned how to. I actually built my first computer in 1998, and I was so excited about it. Wow. Uh, p- people who use computers now, you know, back then, if you have a 6.5 gigahertz, gigabytes, uh, gigabytes hard drive on a computer. That's a lot of space. That's a big machine. <laughs> so now I see iPhones and all these, you know, uh, cell phones having 128 gigs on a tiny thing that you carry in your pocket. So that's how that's how far we've come in 20 years, right? Yeah. But that's how, that's how I started, you know, in, in IT. So I was always the type of person when I when I wanted to learn something, I just like go wholeheartedly in so i read a lot of books i read a lot of books i read a lot of books and then i built my computer and then it became a hobby so i'll tell my friends hey if you buy the parts i'll build the computer for you and it went from there wow and then um i got fired from a lot of jobs in this country by the way so i got fired from fries electronic <laughs> electronic then and then i started doing tech support and back then it was the rave were, you know, people were just getting online. You know, there was yeah. America Online, AOL. There was, um, there were all these, these other companies. And getting online back in the day was using dialogue, mm-hmm. okay? You take a phone line, plug it on a modem behind a computer, <laughs> and it dials, and then you go, yeah, 
like screeches and all that. And then there's a handshake and then you finally connect and then you're online. Somebody calls your home phone, it knocks you off offline <laughs> and you get upset. You try to <laughs> dial back in to get online. There was no uh. Wi-Fi. And so I did tech support um, for a number of years, two or three years. And that's when I went to DeVry. So I was like, okay, I wanted to be um, uh, a networking person, you know, putting computers together, building networks and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. hard, hardware kind of person. Uh, and then uh, after, well, after college, I actually, I just graduated from DeVry, but, but by the way, I started in 2001 and I graduated in 2019. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. Hey, I know someone who still hasn't graduated. I don't know when he started, but uh, yeah. It's, uh, so you, yeah. You made it to the finish line. So. I made it to the finish line. So all these years. But when I was at DeVry, I found out I took all these uh, programming classes and all this and I found out I was actually very good with databases. That's those were the only classes aside from networking. Programming classes was uh, SQL or SQL or whatever relational databases. And I said, hey, maybe that's what I should do for a living. Mm. <laughs> and that's what I, that's what I'm doing now. But it, it's been a journey from uh, you know selling computer parts, building computers to to doing you know what I'm doing right now. So do you still build computers? No, so I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, this was about 10 years ago. He was from Nigeria. Uh, he's since passed. Through. So he's like, do you build computers? I said, oh, no, I don't build computers. I, I, I do programming and stuff. He started laughing at me. He said, oh, it's like the person who's a tailor. And then all of a sudden said, oh, I'm not a tailor. I'm actually a, a, a designer or something. <laughs> You're doing the same thing, right? But... So, so uh, building computers these days, I don't know if people do it, but it's not such a big thing now as yeah. it was back then because mm -hmm. computer parts are very cheap. Back then, you can you you buy the parts and then you 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 build it and then you feel proud that you actually was custom made and and but nowadays if your computer breaks, it's easy to just junk it, you know, throw it away and go buy another one because you can get a laptop for three hundred dollars. Back yeah, then it was even cheaper. Oh, sure. Yeah, even cheaper. Back then it was. $1,500 would be the starting. Yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. the first one I bought was almost, uh, yeah, it was about $1,300. Yeah. yeah. So building computers, I think it's like a dying hobby. There are very few people who do it these days. So, mm. so the answer to the question is, no, I haven't, but I would love to teach my kids just to have an idea of what's inside uh, the machine that you're using that yeah. there's. A machine, there's a part called a processor and there's a hard drive and there's RAM and there's a motherboard that everything is connected to. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what advice will you give to a young person who's interested in going into your field? IT is very, actually very interesting. There's, there's uh, you know, when, when, when people introduce me sometimes, you know, they'll say, oh, this is Nalas, he knows computers or he's a computer or whatever. I'm like, there's so much that I don't know. So if you find what you're passionate about, uh, just stick to it. And one of, one of the things I tell people, like in IT, and I'm, I'm actually following the same advice now. You can know things, but it's like math, right? Yes. 
you have to keep practicing you keep mm. practicing even if you're an athlete if you take so many jump shots a day you become become better at shooting shooting the ball from whatever range right yes so yes if you find if you find something you love there's so many fields in it if you find something you love just stick to it um and, and just just keep at it read as much as you can practice as much as you can uh, we're actually fortunate now that there's so much information and tutorials online youtube that you can basically teach yourself <laughs> a lot of things yes that's true so um last serious question mm -hmm. why is volunteering important to nalas i actually i love helping and i actually uh, i i'll tell you this uh one time this was in 2014 14, my kids were in elementary school and I had a chance to work from home most of the time, like four days out of the week. And I actually would pick them up. We had a minivan and parents who actually would go to work and stuff, I'll go pick up their, uh, their children, take them to school. And my, my kids were like, dad, man, you take us all over the place to pick up these kids and stuff. And I would tell them that when you are gifted with stuff, um it's not just for you it's also to use it for the betterment of other people or to help other people so that's why i love volunteering mm -hmm. so if i have if i have gifts and talents they are not just for me that been and I, I believe i've been entrusted with those gifts and talents so i can use them to help uh, other people you know awesome so now that we've knocked out those two questions, mm -hmm. let's jump into the lighter side of things to wrap mm -hmm. it. This is the, we're coming to the end now, the official Okay. End. So okay. we can't end this without coming to the, the fun questions. of. Mm -hmm. uh, so which one should we do first? Okay, let's go with food. <laughs> Where? Uh, actually does mm -hmm. your favorite cuisine come from and what is it so i picked this one deliberately mm. because i've i've had i've had this discussion with my brothers and sisters from nigeria okay so i so i said let me just put this down because i want to also have a discussion with, <laughs> with you about so, so i so i put it down as benachin so we call it benachin benachin Benachin, yes. Mm. So what you so you would call it jollof rice. Ah, wow. <laughs> wow, we, so we, we got something that changed the game now. Yeah, so we call it benachin in Gambian Senegal or Senegalese, depending if it's fish, if it's made with fish, they call it chebujin or whatever. But we call it benachin, and benachin just means one pot, right? So basically the food is made in one pot. You can fry your chicken oh. or fry whatever, toss the chicken out. And then use the same gravy, to, uh, uh, you know, to put the rice in and cook the rice in, right? So it's one pot. So that's what Benetton means. So I tell, I tell them, and I say, hey, we actually make the best Benetton or jello fries. And my friends would tell me, no, it's not. Our jello fries is better than your Benetton. And I'm like, hmm, I don't think so. And then I said, hey, do you, do you know where jollof rice is from? Oh, it's from Nigeria. I said, no, it's not no, from it's Nigeria. Not. <laughs> it's okay, not. so you and I are not going to get in that argument. So you are... <laughs> hey, I found out like two years ago that, uh, yeah, the, the, 
it was a Nigerian um, uh, cooking historian that was on a show talking. And she's like, uh-huh. Nigerians, we just like to claim stuff. Like, do we even know where jollof rice come from? Like, we just like shouting on the internet. Like, do we know the name? What, what Nigerian tribe calls it's something jollof? What if we can name the tribe? And yeah. She's like, but she, she, Senegal, it comes from Senegal. I said, well, yeah, Senegal, Gambia, yeah. She said, Wolof, Wolof. Wolof, yes, the Wolof people. I said, oh, wait, wait, I know Wolof. I've heard of Wolof before. I know, I know somebody who's Wolof. Wait, wait, it makes sense. Wolof, Jolof. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, that changed, that changed the whole game that day. I was like, oh, oh my goodness. But, uh, well, there's someone who, who, who might disagree with you. That's my wife. Mm-hmm. Because okay. she, she's eating um, Benachim from uh, Nigeria, Ghana, um, Senegal. Mali. Has she eaten uh-huh. Senegal? I think she's eating Senegal, mm-hmm. um, Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. and Liberia. She's eating so. But me, I've eaten more. I've mm-hmm. not eaten from the Gambia. I've not eaten from the same with Senegal. It's yeah. Not... So, but. Uh, mm-hmm. The the only the only one I disqualified is Senegal for me was that the, when they they gave it to me they had fish I don't eat, I don't like fresh fish. Oh the, yeah, That's, yeah. So, so they call that chebujin. They have fish chebujin. Yeah. So if if chebujin. if it had like smoked fish, aha, that's my that's my yeah. I prefer smoked fish or fried fish even. Fried yeah. Fish. So but it was fresh fish. So I, I am I I was trying to dodge the fish instead of focusing <laughs> on the rice. So yeah. yeah we, so we, I, have, we, I have to uh, try Gambian without. The fresh fish, give me goat meat. Yeah, goat meat. I love goat meat. You can yeah. either have it goat meat, beef. Um, no, it has to be goat meat. If you want me to give my full <laughs> assessment, goat meat, then we can goat talk. Meat, okay. But of, officially, the official statement of this podcast is just invite me to eat the jollof. I don't discriminate. I eat all penashin. I eat all of them. I eat all of them. I eat all of them. But my wife will tell you that she she tells you it's Nigerian. That she she I did not tell her to say she's the one that that's the one she yeah. says that. Uh, and, and it's not I, the views of this podcast, it's the views of my <laughs> wife. That's my wife. <laughs> and, and I, I used to work I used to work with a sister from Nigeria. And then when she finally agreed that Jollof was from the Senegambia area, right? She said, Well, have you ever considered like People who invented something and somebody becomes more, you know, be- better at making it. Nigerians love it. to say that too. <laughs> very Nigerian. <laughs> very Nigerian, right there. Yeah. Uh, so we, 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 so we, I said, I, I knew uh, I couldn't win with her. So nope, I said, okay. you, you, you can't win an argument with a Nigerian. Forget it. Forget it. Even, even when it comes to me, there's times I use that card too. So. <laughs> Uh, so, but I do love I do love biryani. Uh, oh, bri- biryani. okay. So yeah. you you guys have your own biryani too, or is it? No, 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 no. Oh, no. just biryani. So yeah, do you have a particular biryani, biryani that you like? Because East Africa has their biryani. If it's Uganda, I, I, Kenya, or uh, from I India think, or North I Africa, the, or I think East. the one that I've had is from India. Okay. <laughs> India, I have some Indian friends, so right. I haven't tried. Even though I have friends from East Africa, I haven't tried. I haven't eaten East African, but I've eaten um, Middle Eastern. I've eaten Bahraini. I've eaten Moroccan. Okay. I've eaten at the Moroccan oh, place okay. when I was in the okay. Middle East. I ate at the Moroccan. Okay. That was the first biryani I actually had. Was at the Moroccan place, and okay. then after I started finding that biryani is not uh, does not belong to one place. It's everywhere. But, but so. Different v- variations yeah. of yeah. it. So, 
So now the next fun question is, um, yeah, there's no way you're gonna deny that you, you don't dance. No. Oh yes. Yeah. You're I, a dancing man. So oh yes. Oh yeah. We need you to dance for at least an hour. Mm-hmm. At least for an hour. And you come from a part of the world that has some good music. They have some Correct. good music. And you, your name your name even relates yeah. to music. So I that, love music. That that makes this question even better. <laughs> so now we need you to dance for at least an hour and give us uh, so give us at least three musicians that will keep you dancing for at least an hour um well if it's if i enjoyed actually listening to reggae i knew you were gonna go I, with reggae yeah but but I, I don't think i can dance to reggae for an hour i can probably do it for five ten minutes okay <laughs> but <laughs> but um you, you know it's gambia senegal mostly senegalese music actually it's called mbala i don't know if you've heard of yusundu yep uh, um, I, have, I have him there's vivian uh, all these newer people you know people that are coming up so i can actually dance to uh mbala for an hour <laughs> um then i listen to a lot of uh music from uganda mm. uh yeah, yeah, I, I don't understand what they're singing, uh, but I, I like the music from Uganda. So I listen to uh, uh, Chameleon, uh, Baby Cool, all these other people. His name is uh, Chameleon. Uh, what? Yeah, I think uh, Chameleon. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't think I have that one in my library. I have too me, many artists in my library, but I still keep adding every day from all over the world. Um, so. Is it Camille? Yeah, I think it's he's he's big. Um, Camille. I probably may have heard one of his songs so at least, Camille? but yeah, okay. I would I'll definitely check that one out. Uh, you said Chameleon. What's the other person's name? There, there's Baby Cool. Baby Cool. Uh, um, Baby Cool. Okay. Um, a lot of them. I have to remember their names, but I listen to a lot of music from Uganda. Um, at this Tanzania, that I have a lot of musicians from right now, but uh, yeah, Uganda, I should have, I probably should have at least one Uganda. I, I probably, I mean, I listen to a lot of, I think it's uh, yeah, chameleon. Okay, I'll check them out and I'll let you know if it's if if you got the name wrong or not. But I think you, you got uh, it because you listen to them more than I do, so yeah, yes. I have artists from literally all over Africa, I'm trying to get from all the African countries. Honestly, so, me so yeah, I listen to that. I listen to um, Zimbabwean music. Uh, the late um, Tukudzi, Olivam Tukudzi, um, Congolese music. Oh, Congolese is that, that's actually my number one. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, I've basically any music from Africa. Oh, Nigerian too. <laughs> uh, I, I have. Um, what the one that I listen to a lot, I have to look at, look him up really quickly. Which one, Bonaboy, or is it Whiskey? Or is it? Uh, yeah, I listen to Whiskey. I listen to the ladies, uh, of course. The, What's the, what are the ladies' names? Oh, uh, uh, Tiwa Savage. Or, yeah, Tiwa Savage. Yes. Uh, Yami Alade. Yeah, yeah, Yami yeah, Alade. Yes, and um, what's the other guy? They did a music. Um, 
Uh, Dorobuchi. Oh, <laughs> Dorobuchi. Oh, so you're a Dorobuchi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my dad, my dad, uh, my dad, rocked that song for a few months, and then she moved on to something else. She, mo- she moved on. Yeah, yeah. She, she was a Dorobuchi for a few months. <laughs> um, there's actually another one that I listened to, and I actually love it because it has a, a spiritual component to it. I'm, I'm trying to pull up the name. Is it Nigerian? Yes, it's Nigerian. Oh, um, is it final? No. Um, oh, wait, Adekule Gold? No. Um, gosh. Oh. Uh, it, it, it's, it, he's, he, the, the song goes, uh, like, not because I pray and fast, not because I suffer past. Um, I don't recall gosh. the lines, but if, I, if you tell me the artist's name. Yeah, I'll give you the address. Uh, the, the, it's a humble smith. Humble smith. Oh, humble smith. Okay, it's one of the newer guys. Yes, Os- Osinachi is the name. Oh, Osinachi. So I, yeah, I had to ask uh, my my neighbor and uh, <laughs> that's what is fine. Osinachi? Yes, <laughs> yeah, I love Osinachi. Yeah. Ibu, okay, yeah, they told me. Yeah. Uh, Osinachi. All from right. The East, okay. So, uh, before I ask the final question, we have the African Nations Cup coming up in. January, I'm thinking of going to Cameroon. I'm still working on it, but probably I'm, I'm, if all things work out, I'll probably be in Cameroon for that. And oh, you will be? Okay. I'm, I'm working, I'm trying to work up something to, to go. Um, so, who do you, are you and your kids going to watch it? <laughs> and who do you yeah. tell your kids is going to win the African Cup of Nations? Uh, you know it's going to be Gambia. Even though we're... Uh, even though we were debutants, right? This is yeah. the first time we were showing up. <laughs> I, I think. <laughs> uh, but so, in just in case, just in case, uh, we didn't make it. So, of course, I'm going to be rooting for my older brothers and sister, um, older brothers in uh, Senegal. <laughs> hey, well, they're overdue to win. They've they've been to two finals. They haven't won yet, so. Yeah. <laughs> So, can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate you, brother, for sharing your beautiful story and um, teaching us a lot. So, final question. What would you like to leave the audience with? You know, could be anything uh, from... If you want to give us from the computer world, the IT world, it's up to you. This is your freestyle, you know. If you want to give us something from your mantra, it's up to you. Um. It would it 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 would be uh, from my mentor and uh, from my mentor and what I always always believe that you know first of all thank you for for letting me come on the uh, come on the show I really enjoyed it I I actually listened to a few episodes I'm going to become an ardent listener thank and you. I can't I can't actually <laughs> wait. Uh, I actually didn't know you had merchandise, so of course, <laughs> but also that also, but I actually, I'm going to share this with a lot of fans all over in Europe and whatever, whoever, appreciate a fan of mine. but what I, w- what I would like to actually leave with the audience is that I, I, I believe in giving and that uh, I think I mentioned in the show that when you have gifts and talents or, or stuff, material stuff, mm-hmm. it's not just for you. Um, we're, we're all in this together, right? We're all heading the same way. So there's no need to uh, put someone down, think you're better than another person because we're all heading the same way <laughs> to <Yeah>. the grave. 
at the end at the end of life stuff that we fight over wouldn't even matter mm. at all that's beautiful as always ah thank you my brother how do you say thank you in in uh um in, in well manjaku of, in manjaku well in manjaku we'll say baran right baran baran like baran like b-a-r-a-n-g yeah uh if you want it in wall office jera jeff if you, if, uh, if you want it in Mandinka, which I think it's partly Arabic, it's Abaraka. Abaraka. Oh, yeah, mm. that's oh, oh, that's different from Shukran. I know Shukran. Okay. Uh, Shukran, okay. Jera. Abaraka. Abaraka. <laughs> that, that one I remember easily. Abaraka. Yeah. Abaraka, Jedejev, Baraka. That sounds like uh, somewhere in Nigeria. Abaraka. I think, it's part, I think it's partly Arabic. There's mm. some Arabic to it, I think, yeah. That will come to me later on. Because Barak, Barak, Barak means blessing. Abaraka means, so it probably means God, you know, bless you. Like, oh, okay. instead of saying thank you, bless you, I think. I don't know Arabic. I'm not claiming to, but I'm, I'm very interested in language, and I think that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> Might be. Well, but uh, you always appreciate it. Uh, do you have anything you would like to plug in? Mm, not anything in particular. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I always I always give my guests the opportunity. You know, I always ask. All right. So uh Barang and Abaraka for Abaraka, coming yeah. on the show. <laughs> and to everyone listening, Abaraka to you. Come back <laughs> next week for another episode. Keep the love coming in. Like, share, subscribe, and you can join us on Patreon if you want, uh, for bonus content and you can also get our merchandise too. Yeah, do good, be good. Thank you for the privilege of your company. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show or you want to be on the show send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com and make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at whitelabelamerican thank you for your support <laughs>